Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, who he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who is called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And then he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Westside. We're glad you're here. We are in week four of our series uh, entitled Canoeing the Mountains. And uh, where this series comes from, it comes from a book by, uh, by Todd Bolsinger called Canoeing the Mountains. And basically what it tells and talks about is how do we faithfully and flexibly follow Jesus in a world that's constantly changing around us? And the story that he uses is the story of Lewis and Clark. And Lewis and Clark were geniuses, and they were waterway experts 
And they were commissioned by Thomas Jefferson to go find the Northwest Passage, which would connect each ocean through the United States. And as they got to the moment that all the maps had said was there, that they had prepared their whole life for, that they were experts at, they climbed the hill to see something that they thought was going to be there, and it wasn't there. It wasn't water. It was the Rocky Mountains. And so at that moment, they had to drop everything that they knew, everything that they were good at, and adapt to the new changing circumstance. And in that book, he simply asked this question, are we able to faithfully and flexibly follow Jesus in a world that is constantly changing around us? And we've all experienced those moments of, I'm prepared for, I know what to do, I'm good at this, and then everything changes, right? Everything changes, and we have to adapt to the call. And last week, we learned this sort of simple understanding, that following Jesus requires faith. Now, that sounds simple until Jesus asks you to get out of a boat and walk on water. <laughs> and then you go, wait a second, right? And so we're having to constantly learn how to do things that we don't know how to do. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus. And, and, and up until this point, we, we've sort of kind of selfishly talked about ourselves. Um, what does it take for me to follow Jesus? And, and we've learned about this Jesus that we're following. And, and today is a pretty crucial aspect of this journey. And um, one of the things that's interesting when you look at Lewis and Clark is the team that they put together. And in history, it's known as the Corpse of Discovery. And historians today are still baffled at the, at the way that they were able to adapt as a team to these changing circumstances. And they were such a good team that historians say that you never refer to just one of them. You always say Lewis and Clark, Lewis and Clark. And actually, Sacagawea steps on the pages of history. She wasn't even supposed to be a part of the deal, and she ends up being one of the main guides. And in that, Todd Bolsinger says this, when, we end in, or when we're in our journey in life, and when we get to parts that we don't know what to do, we can actually prepare for those moments. We can actually prepare for the unknown. And he says these words, it is possible to prepare for the future without knowing what it will be. <laughs> do tell, please, right? Um, that would be a great life hack, to be able to prepare for the future, right? And he says this, The primary way to prepare for the unknown is to attend to the quality of our relationships, to know how to do well in this journey, is to trust one another. And, and, and just think about that right now in, in the current circumstances with COVID and the political climate and the economic climate, all of those things. I think what recent events have done is they have exposed the quality of our relationships, either for better or for worse. I mean, um, if a relationship was, was not as strong and then you throw something in like, like social distancing and those type of things like that, um, it almost becomes social disconnection, if you will. And so I think currently this is a word that is very applicable for this season because what's been exposed is, is the quality of our relationships, well, what's important to know is, is when we're accepting the call to be followers of Jesus Christ, listen, this is a fundamental truth, a fundamental truth. 
that Jesus never calls us to follow him alone. That's, that's nowhere in the Bible. There's, I mean, we like to say it this way at Westside. Um, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto, right? Okay, there's no solo gig here. And, and, and there's a new sort of version um, of a distorted version of Christianity that sort of crept in over these last couple of decades. And, and it sort of goes like this, like, um, well, well, pastor, I have my Bible on Sunday mornings, my cup of coffee, and David Jeremiah. Like, hey, listen, I love David Jeremiah. Him and Charles Stanley, I can't believe they're still alive. Those dudes are as old as Moses, man. And they've been preaching the gospel. Oh, I'm so thankful for those guys. But that's not Christianity. I mean, even if you do a glance at the New Testament, how are you able to obey 90% of the commands of love one another, forgive one another, bear with one another, live life with one another? You see, listen, in, in these verses today, we, we see the calling of the disciples and then the appointing of the apostles. But as I was reading and studying these verses, I started to see the verses surrounding it. You see, most people just, just study the, the apostles there. But then it says that he goes right into the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount to his apostles. And what's unique in what we see in this calling is, is this. This is the big idea today. Who you follow Jesus with determines how far you follow Jesus. I mean, this is really a universal truth of maybe you've tried to um, walk the road of sobriety in your life and you've struggled with addictions. No matter what as, uh, aspect you use to, to do that in, everybody will say to you, who is around you? Who is around you? And that's true of Christianity. That who you follow Jesus with determines how far you will follow Jesus. And so when we look at these verses and those surrounding it, I want to see a couple things. I want to see the vision for community. Now, 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 this is a core aspect for us here at Westside. Gospel community mission. You'll see those words everywhere. We believe that your salvation is personal. Yes, but it is not private. That God calls you out from the world to a people that he is creating. So we want to see what is the vision? What does this community look like? But then I want to see the values of that community. What do we use to operate with? And then what's the victory? What's, what's the win in all of this. So the first thing that we see is this, the, the vision for community. Now, look at verse 12. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. This is a fun fact. I know you were asking, man, am I going to get a fun fact today? Yes, you will. Here it is right here. This is the only time in the Bible that we have on page in black and white that Jesus stayed up all night to pray. Now, did he stay up all night to pray a lot? Probably because he's Jesus, okay, right? Why does Luke record that and say, hey, um, right now, all night to God, he prayed. He's choosing who's going to be in, in the inner circle and be apostles here, which, which this isn't even in my notes. This is for free. That probably tells me this, that we should take into great consideration and care who we allow into our life. I mean, Jesus stays up all night to pray. 
And, and it says this, that, that he continued in prayer to God, verse 13. And when the day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12. There's a ton there in, in that verse. Here's what's interesting. Um, we see in the Old Testament that God says, hey. He actually says that in the Hebrew, hey. Um, he, Abraham, Father Abraham, remember that, right? In, when, with the sugar-free Kool-Aid and the wafer crackers and all that stuff. Many sons, many sons had father. God says, here's how I'm going to show the whole world that I'm God. I'm going to create a people for my own possession. And the way in which those people live, the whole world's going to go, that is the one true God. And so we see, um, he calls Charlton Heston uh, to, to lead the people out of slavery in Egypt. And then, and then God gives him the Ten Commandments. And he says, because I've saved you, now live this way. And when you live this way, everybody's going to go, wow. And then later on we see that, that Israel has 12 tribes, 12 tribes of Israel. What we see now is that Jesus is a greater Moses, that he comes down off the mountain, not with the law of God, but with the love of God, and he appoints 12 apostles. Do you see how grand this story is? And he's saying that these people, these people are going to carry on the message of the kingdom. But what's interesting is, is that there's the disciples mentioned and then the apostles, which tells me this. This is a great um, insight into the text. That Jesus doesn't want full-time what you're not already doing part-time. Here's what I mean. There's the, there's the disciples who's probably 80 to 120 people, okay? Those people are already following Jesus. They're already obeying Jesus. They're already going, Jesus, um, how do you live? What are your teachings? Then from those people, he appoints other people into leadership. Listen, most of the time, people just want to go straight into leadership. But Jesus doesn't need you full-time what you're not already doing part-time. So if you're not already serving people, why should you make decisions about people who are already serving? You see, this is like an inner ring that we see here. And then it says that he called the disciples. That he called them. And then here's the names, right? Verse 14. Simon, whom he named Peter. Peter's always first. He's always listed first with the disciples. Andrew, his brother, James and John, we learned about them. Remember, they have the fishing business, right? And Philip and Bartholomew. And then Matthew, we just learned about him, the tax collector. And Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus. And Simon, who was called the zealot. And Judas, are you like, wait, is it that one Judas? No, the son of James. But, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. A few things. Um, the first thing I see from the vision for community, what, is, what does God want in, in community is this. Um, God uses ordinary people. Is that not good news for you? You must be awesome in here today, okay, right? God uses ordinary people. I mean, we know that, that, that Peter and Andrew and James and John, they're, they're fishermen. And back then, that means that they would have failed going into rabbinic school. Listen. They weren't good enough. And so they took on their father's business. We see that Matthew is a tax collector. Listen, um, we sort of put the apostles in stained glass, and, and sometimes rightly so. I mean, this is, they passed on the faith to us. But let us never 
Never forget the fact that God loves doing extraordinary things through ordinary people. So listen, let's bridge um, the gap and the application from the text to your life. Have you ever said, oh man, just here in Butler County, just can't wait to get out and then I'll get the stuff and the thing for the stuff and then we'll move and then I'll, and then we, and because, but not right now, right? I mean, when I was a student pastor, it was always the kids were like, I can't wait to get out of this town, man, right? And then it's like they go to college, figure out how hard life is, and they come back and live with their parents, okay, right? Um, listen, I believe, and, and maybe I'm naive, maybe I'm just too foolish, but I believe that God can use people, broken people, in Butler County, in this room, right now, to change the world. I mean, I believe that. It's never the, the qualified and the shiny and the put together. Jesus always goes to the marginalized, the broken, the people that society's cast out and says, I want you on my team. And what's beautiful is um, that he called them. You see, um, back then, you had to show yourself approved. You had to um, sort of exhibit these qualities, and then the rabbi and the teacher would come to you and say, wow, everybody speaks well of you, and you have all of these qualities, and you're great. You should come and be a student. But that didn't happen with these disciples. Jesus comes to them, which tells me this, that grace, grace is Jesus coming to you. Please do not think that Christianity is, oh man, once I get this figured out and that addiction and the finances and this, then we will and then I will. And no, 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 no. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is while we were still sinners in sin, actively an enemy of God, Christ Jesus died for us. Are you, do you guys care about that? Are you excited today? I mean, that is unbelievable. Listen, that separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. Every other religion God uses and loves to use ordinary people. But then I see this, that, that God uses a diversity of people. Listen, here's, here's where we know from history the names of these apostles, right? The apostles, which means a sent one. So Simon, Peter, and Andrew, they're, they're fishermen with James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, and then this, um, Matthew. We just learned that he was a tax collector, right? So what Matthew did is um, Matthew sort of sold out his heritage. Matthew's Jewish, but he works for the Roman government, okay? which is like crossing the Corleone family, okay? You just don't do that, right? And the Jewish people were under the oppression and under the boot of the Roman people. So what, what Matthew would do is he would come knock on your door and go, hey, your taxes are due. And if he was here in the great state of Missouri, he would say, hey, every year your personal property tax is due. Even when you bought the thing, you still pay taxes on the thing. That's a different sermon. I'll get angry if I keep going that route, okay? All right, good. adulting, awesome, great. And he would say, hey, your taxes are due, but he would charge you more, and then he would live off the... It was a hustle. Matthew was hustling. He worked for the Roman government. But now look at this. And Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot. So you know what Simon was. Simon wanted to overthrow the Roman government. And Matthew works for the Roman government. So, I mean, 
I mean, listen, j- just to modernize it, and it'll probably make it pretty intense in here, but, but in Jesus' 12, you've got people who are wearing masks, people who aren't wearing masks, people who are wearing t-shirts that say, uh, Make America Great Again, and then shirts that say, Black Lives Matter, and then, I mean, you've got a diversity of people who are following Jesus. And... I believe that this can still happen today. And do you know what I believe is happening right now with everything taking place? I believe there's a great sifting that is happening. And we're finding out the qualities of our relationships. And so now we don't do this. What we do is we say phrases like, cleaning up my friends list. Because what we want is not unity that has a diversity. What we want is uniformity. And by the way, Westside will not be that church. Westside will be a church. And you're going to amen this until the rubber meets the road. And I don't even think we know what we're amening. Westside will be a church where there is Democrats, Republicans, rich, poor, where there are different people that are members here. And listen, if you don't want that, we love you, but deuces. This just isn't for you. We will progress and we will fight for this type of diversity because I see Jesus doing that. This is the vision for that. And you know what? I was young and naive when I came into the pastorate. I thought everybody wanted that. And then, like, I find out, no, like, a lot of people want uniformity. And the problem is a uniformity is a cult, okay? And the problem with being in a cult is you don't know you're in one until the last day, all right? When they're like, oh, we're wearing our Nikes today, we're going to drink some, oh, this is great, right? That's not what this is. So what holds it together then? Because that's what's being tested. What we're seeing is where our allegiances lie. And listen, here's what community is. Community is connection based on a common affection. That's community. It's connection based on a common affection. So that's what clubs are. That's what happy hour is at Applebee's, okay? Like, this isn't a profound concept, all right? The problem is, is when it happens with us, well, so, so I've been serving in a church for over a decade. I was born on like a Wednesday, and I was in church on a Sunday. My dad was a pastor. I've been around church my whole life. And what I see is, is, is there's a common life cycle, what happens, and, and it's actually very similar to marriage as well, of what relationships look like in a church, okay? So the first thing is this. Um, it's an introduction, right? Oh, wow, this is great, cool. And, and listen, maybe you're, you're, you're not a Christian in here today. We're, we're glad that you're here. We want you to be a part of our gathering. Um, so when I get angry today, I'm not angry at you. I'm angry at the Christians, okay? So that's okay, all right? So it's the introduction. It's like, oh, wow, I'm not a Christian, or either I am a Christian, I want to check a church out introduction. Then it's what I like to call infatuation, okay? And I've learned a few things as a pastor. If you come here and it's your first time here and you say, oh man, I love this church. You know, I was a part of that other church, but that pastor and that church, listen, I will put an expiration date on you. Because if you're saying that about another former church or something, it is a matter of time before you say that about us here. But there's this like infatuation period, which is like it's like with engaged couples, okay? Um, I get to do premarital counseling all the time, and it's, it's awesome. And so we, we always get to that, hey, how do we work out differences? And has there been any conflicts or anything in the engagement? And it's always this. 
Oh no, pastor, this one's different, right? Okay, right, okay. And then there's this moment of like, this is different, this infatuation. And then there comes this next moment, the, the commitment, the commitment. I'm gonna, we have a connection class here. Um, I believe that the New Testament teaches like a formal decision as to what that is to be a part of a local church. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make my camp here, right? And then conflict. Listen, it's not a matter of if that happens. If your notion is, is that church should be a place that's free from conflict, that, that's entirely unbiblical. You say, Jason, why? Well, if, if Jesus, the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, very God from God, very light from light, stayed up all night choosing 12 disciples, and Judas was there, and Judas betrays Jesus, and rips his heart out as a traitor. Who are we to think that there won't be conflict or turmoil in our relationships now? Listen, in life, you can't avoid conflict. Here's the key. How do you handle it? And, you know, if I had more time, we could get into your family of origin because the way in which we handle conflict now is actually how we were taught in our family of origin. And so most of the time, you've got two choices what happens with the conflict. Bail. Eject button, blocked, cleaning up my friends list, I'm out of here, right? And, and bail can look like a number of things. It can look like passive aggressive, um, checked out, or I'm going to sabotage this, or, or, or whatever that is, okay? And listen, if you choose that, guess what happens to this life cycle? You will repeat that over and over and over, and so here's what you have in Butler County. And listen, I'm not talking about you unless I'm talking about you, okay? So what you have in Butler County is people who've attended churches for 40, 50 years, and it's about a five-year to six-year window of, I have a conflict, so now I'm bailing. I have a conflict, so now I'm bailing. I, and, and it's just that. But, but you have another option, which is perseverance. And here's what that looks like. Have you ever noticed and read the New Testament, um, what the Apostle Paul does? He's writing to Christians. Hey, forgive one another, love one another. And, and here's what I hear people say all the time. Man, we should get back to the early church. Man, we should be just like the scriptures and the early church. Do you know what the Apostle Paul does and how he handles conflict in the letters in the New Testament? So here's how Sunday morning would happen. The Apostle Paul would write a letter to the pastor in Philippi, right? And so they would have their Sunday gathering. Hey, guys, we got a letter from the Apostle Paul. This is great. I can do all things through Christ. Woohoo! I love that. Christ's humility, great. Do you know what he does in the last chapter of Philippians? He names like three or four ladies that have been gossiping within the church. Drops their name, bro. I mean, says it. Like, hey, Miss Susie Q and Mary Jo, y'all are crazy, certified. Y'all got papers, okay? And so what y'all need to do is y'all need to... So, so in order to be like the early church, what we're going to do today is... No, I'm just kidding, okay? I'm just kidding. Why is he saying that, to not give up? He's writing to Christians because the Apostle Paul knows that after perseverance comes a deeper relationship. That's the game changer. That's what changes everything. And it's not perfect. Oh, Lord, it's not perfect. Oh, it will never be perfect. But what Jesus is asking for is progression. 
progression. And so now we, we, we sit at a table and, and we look at what the Lord says about how to handle conflict and do these things. And now we have a deeper relationship. And that deeper relationship shows growth. So now the very thing that we've desired in a community, the way that we look at church in community is like a microwave, right? So we just think, oh, three minutes, you're just like me, boop, 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 boom, there it is, this is great. Friendship is not like a microwave. It's like a crock pot. It's going to take time. It's going to take patience. But listen, when that growth happens, do you know what it shows? It shows other people the introduction into the community of faith. They go, whoa, that, they had a conflict there, and they handled that, and what's the love? What's the common connection? Listen, this is what I see. And by the way, Peter's listed first here. Do you know in the book of Galatians that Peter and the apostle Paul had a face-to-face confrontation? I mean, juggernauts in the game. Paul says, I opposed Peter to his face because he was slipping on the gospel message. And then he goes on to say, so I deleted him off Facebook, blocked that joker's number because he don't understand. I'm just this way. Uh. Right? Have you seen that lately on social media? Right? No. And so then we came together under the affection of Jesus Christ. Listen, if the world can't do it and the world can't do it, it's on the church of Jesus Christ. This is the vision. But... You see, a vision's based on something, which is the values. And, and, and actually, there's unspoken values, like, you know, in your family. If, when you walk in your home, you have values, right? Like, there's a chair in our living room at the house. And if you ask my three kids, they'll say, that's daddy's chair, right? There's just values, just unspoken things that you value. What Jesus goes on to do now is he starts giving um, the Beatitudes, blessed are you, but... Luke records the woes. So look at what does Jesus value in the kingdom of God? What does Jesus value? Well, look, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name. On the account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that. Do you see, here's what I love the Beatitudes because you know what it is? It's Jesus saying, All right, here's who gets in. Here's who gets into the kingdom of God. Is anybody in here broken? Is anybody in here full of despair, feel like they have no hope, feel down, they've been excluded from everything in their life, been divorced, feel like they wear a scarlet letter, struggled with addiction and done all of this? Is anybody in here like that? Because good. Because you're on the team, bro. This is the good news of Christianity. And then he goes along and says this, but... Those of you who use people, those of you who think that you have it all figured out, those of you who think that people are around to serve only you, this gig isn't for you, man. And so this is what it looks like, the blessings and the woes. Jesus tells us this, um, the woes, power, comfort, success, and recognition. Okay, The blessings are weakness, sacrifice, grief, and exclusion. You say, Jason, why is this important? Well, What you value, you protect. So, let's just make it very applicable. If you are someone who values power. Now, are are those things bad, the things that are on the woes? Are those bad? 
Question, is, is, is money bad? No, money's not bad. We did a whole series on that. Um, money's bad when it becomes a God thing. And so power, that's not bad. But power's bad if that's what your life is based on. So if you're someone who values power and position, then when it comes to biblical community, you will never allow anybody to speak into your life. Because either they don't meet the qualifications that you say, well, what about them? And I'm, they're not going to talk to me about that. Look at their problems. And so that will cause a problem. Or let's say um, success or recognition. So if you're someone who values recognition and it's an idol, then every time you do something for someone, it's not to serve them. It's to serve you. Because if they don't say good job, or if they don't say, man, thank you so much, or if they don't, what do you do? You punish at that point. And so our, our, our values is what we protect. But the reason why this is important is because your values are your vision lived out, and people don't connect the dots. Do you know what the word division literally means? Two, die. So if there is division in your marriage, then there are two visions for what the roles of marriage are supposed to be. If there's division in your family, then that's because somebody says, that's not the vision, this is the vision, right? And so die literally means two. And by the way, do you know what I believe the greatest threat to the church of Jesus Christ is? Um, it's not a cashless society or something crazy that the enemy is using to distract us from everything. Do you know what I think it is? It's division from within the church. It's division from within the church. That if the enemy can get us fighting amongst ourselves in a community like this, then it doesn't matter what happens. And so when we look and see what these values are, and, and conflict happens when somebody violates your values. And so we have options. We can either bail or we can persevere. But Jesus wants ordinary people. And he wants to do extraordinary things. But it's going to be a diversity. And the only way a diversity can be a, uni, uh, a unity is if you're agreed upon the values of what you're living for. That's why the Apostle Paul says in the New Testament, if you're a believer, don't marry an unbeliever. Why? Because your values are completely different, right? So what's the win? What's the win? What's the victory for this community? How can this happen? Well, he goes on to tell us. Look in verse 27. But I say to you, listen to this, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Verse 28, bless those who curse you. What's he saying? Jesus has anticipated the question that you ask. Well, what if somebody violates my values? What if somebody doesn't value what I value and they treat me a certain way? And then he literally tells us. But look at this. Drop down to verse 32. Let's count the amount of times the word you is used. Why are you? Verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good for you, what benefit is that to you? Um, you think Jesus is getting a, a point across for us here? He's saying that primarily the problem is going to be that if you view your life as you being at the center, even as somebody who's going to be my follower, 
you are no different than the pagans. Because what good is that? What's different about people who treat each other the same way and agree upon those things? Here, here's the word that Jesus is talking about, and I can't wait to talk about it. This is great. This is a hot-button topic, okay? It's tolerance. That's the basis of the teaching. Did you know that the um, dictionary definition of tolerance has changed over the past 30 years? The old, what is taught in schools now about tolerance is not what was taught in universities 30, 40 years ago. The old definition of tolerance presupposed that there was a disagreement, right? So it was two people coming together who differed on something. And tolerance was how you interacted in light of the difference. Tolerance is no longer that anymore. Tolerance is you must accept my truth as your truth. And if you criticize that or critique that, then we are now enemies. We can no longer be in community together. And listen, that is a lie from the pit of hell. This is a great thing. Did you know that you don't have to compromise your convictions in order to be compassionate to someone? I mean, that's just, that's mind-blowing, right? And so Jesus says that when you come together, here's what I'm trying to say. Tolerance is how you treat someone who differs with you. So let's just do the litmus test. How do you treat individuals who differ with you on politics? On, hey, let's even get even somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus, who's not a follower of Jesus. Do you know what Jesus always got in trouble for with the Pharisees? He was hanging, Jesus was not afraid to be guilty by association. He didn't care. Because the love that he showed for people that differed with him was so compelling and so amazing. Here's what I'm trying to say. Love within the church is the light that shines the brightest to those outside the church. Listen, I believe in 2020, I believe that the message, because it's changed. Um, it, church is no longer the Billy Graham scene anymore where it was like, hey, you make the decision, walk the aisle, do all of those things. Now the world is watching. How do you treat people who are different than you? And this isn't a sermon that somebody else needs to hear. This is for me. This is for you. This is for right now. And you say, Jason, well, why would we do that? Well, because who you follow Jesus with determines how far you will follow Jesus. And I believe that this is the deep water. But the key that Jesus tells us of how to do it is in verse 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. Listen, this is how sinful we are as human beings, that we can serve other people that we can serve other people and our service is actually about us and not them. So, like, I, I use this as a joking illustration, but, like, I mean, if I'm going to do the dishes at home, like, I do the dishes, it's clean, it's empty, and I want a parade for my wife because I've done that. I mean, I want her to mention 78 times today, I just can't believe you did the dishes like, it's unbelievable that you did. Hey, listen. Hey, listen. Who am I doing the dishes for? I'm doing the dishes for me. So question. Um, why do you serve other people? 
Or why don't you serve other people? Why, why? Is it because we're bargaining here? And then Jesus says this, But love your enemies, do good, lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. Here's the key. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. You know what Jesus is saying? You differed with God before the grace of God shone the light of Christ in your heart, that you were an enemy of God. And the mercy in which we have received, we now extend to others. Listen, the church, the church is a group of people who other, apart from Jesus, would be natural enemies to each other. But the love of Christ is so powerful and compelling that it changes everything. In closing, this is a picture of John that's mentioned here, the Apostle John. Um, we actually know a lot about John more than any of the other apostles, just because John lived so long. And so there's historical records um, kept from you know, the Orthodox Church or books like the Fox's Book of Martyrs. John lived well into his 90s, which back then was, was a big deal. Um, and he was persecuted and tortured for his faith. But John was a pastor at Ephesus, the church, the book of Ephesians. And, and the story is told that, that John was so old that he would have to be carried in on a chair for, for the Sunday gathering. And so when it was time for the sermon, they would carry John in, sometimes on a bed towards the end of his life. Everybody would remain very quiet. And the Apostle John would whisper, little children, love one another. He would say it three times. They would pick him up and take him out Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. History records that there was a new convert at the church in Ephesus. Jerome records this, one of the early church fathers, and says that the new convert had been attending there for a few Sundays. And on the way out the door, he said, Apostle John, you've already told us these things. When will we know more of the Lord's teaching? Translation, when are we going to get into the good stuff, man? And the Apostle John leans in and whispers, My dear child, this is the Lord's greatest command. And if you obey this, it is enough for the church. It's enough. This love and this vision, it can happen. And so the question is, who are you following Jesus with? When you evaluate your life and you look at close friends, who has access to your life? And if nobody does, the question is why? Maybe look at that values list. Is it, do you realize, man, I value comfort. I value power, recognition, and all of these things. May God grant us the mercy and the grace that we can show to other people the love that he's shown towards us. So Westside, let us stand to our feet and let us pray how Jesus taught us to pray. And notice, when Jesus teaches us to pray, the very first word of the prayer is our Father. Our Father. So Westside, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven,
Heavenly Father, we come before you. God, we come before you as your children. God, if we are honest in this place, we have been children that are fighting amongst ourselves. We are brothers and sisters who have treated each other no different than pagans. And Father, your heart is grieved. And so we come and we confess and we say that we have not loved our neighbor as we should have. Some of us in this room have harbored thoughts and even shown in action disdain for people that are supposed to be our brothers and sisters in Christ. But God, we live on the promise that the community and the church that you began building in the pages and the words that we saw, that it will prevail and that you will build it. So God, I pray today when we look at that life cycle, some of us are, are in the infatuation and may we come to the, to the grace-filled reality of what church is. God, some of us are in the conflict stage and my prayer is is that through the power of your Holy Spirit that we would not give up. God, would you grant humility in this place that one of the greatest acts of faith that somebody in this room could do is a phone call saying, I'm sorry. Or, hey, I need to have a conversation. May we understand that you want the nitty-gritty things in life, and that's where your grace is found. So Holy Spirit, empower us. Empower us to love others as you have loved us. And may that light shine so bright that the relationships here at Westside would change Butler County, change the state of Missouri, change the world. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.